Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deck Arts Podcast. I am broadcasting again in Paris because I'm a really lucky person, but this will be going live while I'm in New York, so um, this will be a little bit later. But I'm here with my Paris roommate, Canadian, and she is um, <laughs> part of the Parsons program in New York, though, and um, she's doing the design management course, and it sounds really interesting, so I'm going to let her tell you about what she's doing at um, Parsons New York, and then how that translates to what she's doing at the Paris campus. Okay, so what I'm doing, my name is Brooklyn Gallagher. I'm working on a create. it's called Creative Type, which is actually a company that promotes, curates, and uh, markets emerging Canadian artists. Yes, it's specifically catered to Canadian artists, but I feel that they are at the disadvantage of not having their art um, on a global scale and marketed in the way that they should. So there's a couple of problems that I'm trying to solve. The first is that the promotion of art is moving from offline to online. The second is that there's no online platform that is catered to specifically Canadian artists. So that's what I'm trying to introduce and have a platform that is catered to only Canadian emerging artists. And I want to promote their work. I want to share that at home and at a abroad so that's kind of my goal and what I'm doing and um, again we're working with a diverse group of artists whether that's Indo-Canadian, Chinese Canadian, Turkish Canadian, um, French Canadian, Canada is obviously a very multicultural country and I want to really um, integrate that into the art world and make sure people know that this is the community and the situation that we're in within Canada. Yeah, and Brooklyn's from Vancouver but went to school in Montreal, so has a really expansive knowledge of both the West Coast of Canada and the East Coast. I think a lot of Americans and other people from the world think that Canada's just, like, one country and they're all the same, but there's obviously different parts, so I think that's also a really important part to her business plan is that she's really experienced both coasts, of Canada so that's really a great point and she spent so much time in New York so she's um really well versed in the art world and design and you can tell that by her Instagram where you can find her at Brooklyn (laughs) with two N's Gallagher it's an amazing Instagram and um it'll influence your fashion choices it has influenced mine (laughs) but I thought she'd be the perfect person to talk about One of the coolest exhibits I've been to since I've been in Paris. Um, New York has some really great fashion exhibits, but I think Paris does them on a different level in terms of the couture fashion that we see and the antiquity of those um, exhibits. So while I was here, I went to the Musée um, Art Decoratif, Um, and they were doing a Christian Dior exhibit, and it takes up both wings of that um, museum, which is really neat because you have to sort of cross cross paths a bit with different sections of the museum, which is interesting that you get two different facades of the museum, but also challenging because a lot of the time I was confused about where I was going. So... Brooklyn, you went to this before most people were able to go, correct? Yeah. I went with a professor of mine who actually has access and gave us free tickets to this exhibit. 
So what was your take on the first go-through of the exhibit? So my initial experience, the first, I don't know, say 20 minutes of the actual exhibit was I personally didn't feel connected to it in the sense that there was a lot of iconic, yes, of course, iconic pieces, but the jewelry, how it was displayed, the way the typography and the descriptions were placed and displayed was it didn't feel engaged with the actual consumer and the audience. And a lot of it was displaced. I don't know. I feel like a lot of, especially the jewelry in particular could have been in a situation where it was much more highlighted and looked at in a different viewpoint as it was. And it was kind of just like morphed into these other pieces. For example, garments, shoes, bags, and it wasn't put aside on its own when it really could have been in something of its own. Um, that's just an example of the first half. But again, it was really dark. There was no air conditioning. So again, thinking about your consumer or your viewer is you're not in a position where you want to engage and really read the, con- the content that's being displayed because it's so freaking hot. It was so hot in that space that people, a lot of the people right class, especially, just moved on and totally neglected that space because it was too hot. And that's something you can think of when you're looking through a gallery, of course. And it just was too much content, beautiful content, condensed into one area. And you didn't fully engage with the work, engage with the pieces, and see what was the potential of each of these works and see what were the history of these works. You didn't get that kind of relationship in my opinion. Yeah, it's true. Um, so just to set the mood in everyone's mind, it was, um, the walls are painted black and the plaques have a, um, light behind them. So they look like they're almost like a billboard light, light up situation. So it's very dim and, um, you're walking through a very narrow space and it's this section in particular is called colorama. And so all of the jewelry pieces, the dresses are set up to match specific colors. So there's a red section, a white section, a purple section, a green section. And, um, to match that are the dresses and then a miniature version of the dresses, shoes that are, a certain color, jewels that are a certain color, and then even packaging, nail colors. So it's a lot of these things tacked sort of onto the wall in a collage-like look, and it becomes very disorienting And when there's a lot of people in the room, very hot and not well lit. So um, that's definitely a problem that the curator maybe didn't foresee with um, the lack of AC and the amount of people that would be in this exhibit. And um, the jewels are very exquisite. Um, So you sort of had an idea for this. We were talking about this the first time Brooklyn went, and I hadn't been yet. And I asked her, what would you do? And I feel like you had a really great answer into the isolation of sort of these objects and, like, maybe a way that someone could potentially better we're not saying that the curators didn't do a good job with the exhibit what we're saying is what would be maybe a better way or what we personally may have done totally I think the curators did a really good job 
overall, but the beginning of the show, I think, could have been bettered, of course. Um, in particular, the jewels, I think they could have been separated from that original exhibit and made a highlight of the exhibit as something that's very significant and valuable in a sense that these are diamonds, these are jewels, these are something that are of huge value to not only people but our industry. So that could have made um, a separate exhibit. Also, I think that the a lot of the styles and the shapes of the original um, uh, content and fabrics and pieces were very iconic to the Dior exhibit. For example, the new look was very much highlighted within the first 20 minutes, which I totally, again, is relatable. But in that same sense, that look should have been separated from the jewels, the shoes, these miniatures, which they did. They did a lot of miniatures, which were... Um, small a miniature is a smaller version of the actual a real life size so you would have a garment which is that the new look which you have a blazer and a skirt a wide length skirt and it would be a smaller form so a doll like form and that was displayed actually in the exhibit so you have this and you have the jewels you have the hats you have the shoes but all of that doesn't relate or contrast to a real form so in that sense you have these full skirts these full blazers these full hats diamonds and then it's a miniature in terms of shape and form so it was confusing in the sense that i think they should have been separated and i think they should have been specific in terms of form shape iconic shapes jewels shoes because a lot of the hats in for dior have been Iconic in the sense that Coco Chanel was a very big influencer on a woman who wore hats and influenced the wear of hats for women. She actually started her own hat shop in Paris, and that's where she started before she became kind of a a party goer of the Nazis and party goer of the. <laughs> I mean, it sounds Nazi. Yeah. It sounds bad, but no, she that was. was her life. In the end, that's where she was. But she was a party goer of the royal family and she was really in integrated in terms of the french culture french life so but she originally started with a hat shop and people don't realize that about coco chanel that's where she started and she had so many different forms and it was amazing so a lot of people actually draw hat design draw from coco chanel so for her to have drawn those influences and implement them into real life i think again christian dior was having those same influences from Coco Chanel, from history, from the past, and implement, implementing them into real-life situations. But, unfortunately, in this exhibit, I don't feel like I got that same connection, although I love Coco Chanel, I love Dior, I love the history of Christian Dior. That first 20 minutes, I didn't feel that connection because everything was just jammed into one, like a collage. And this is not a collage. This is an ex- exhibition. This is something that is strategic it is critical it is well planned and it felt too much collage in the first 20 minutes but from then on it was amazing it was structured it represented christian dior so that's my take on a tutorial perspective but yeah and it's cool because um once you get through sort of the overwhelming aspect of the miniatures and the hats and the shoes and all that and like the color section 
you get into the exotic section, which is really neat. And I did not realize this was part of Christian Dior all. I had absolutely no idea that they did these kind of things. Do you do you have an opinion on this section or these fashion sort of I feel like they're almost like little arms off of the Christian Dior name. They sort of because there was um more of like an Asian influence and then there was a section where there's more of an African influence. What did you think about this section? I think like any designer, Christian Dior took influences from his surroundings and cultural, social, political perspectives. And that reflected in his art form, which is therefore um, designing. So I think you can see all aspects of what was happening here around him. And really, I think Christian Dior as a brand took and reflected upon, again, the surroundings but, yeah, you can see a shift, and you can see drawing from different um, influences. It doesn't necessarily mean that he was or she was. Um, at the time, I'm not sure what was the date you're looking at as the time that the creative director I was. I think it was Raft and um, the person before Raft. So he, Raft was very um, in the moment and very spontaneous. He was kind of a crazy designer. But again, he was really influential in the sense that he was innovating. He was always thinking new, creating new ideas, which was something amazing about him. And he was very different for Dior because he created situations that no one's seen before. And that's what everyone loved about him. That's why he stayed around because he was innovative and he inspired Dior to grow. Rather than just staying in the past, he influenced the future, which was huge. And I think for Raph, he projected the future of Dior, and that's why he was there for so long, because he really moved the company forward, he moved the brand forward, and he draw from all his surroundings, rather than being focused on one thing, one tradition, one um, aesthetic, one form, he took everything around him and applied it to his craft, and that's what defined Dior, and that's how Dior grew from the new, the new look, which is... Dior is defined by the new look. Designers look to the new look to aspire, aspire. And the new look, as some may not know, is that waist shape with the um, tight waist figure with the wide skirt. That's kind of the new look with the blazer. And a lot of people don't know this, but that's where that started from Dior. So I think Ralph really applied this to his practice and helped Dior progress and move forward and be innovative yeah it's really interesting to see his pieces because you can tell once you start going through the exhibit you can tell who was the creative director i feel like once you get past the christian years which was around like 1956 or 1957 um after his death um and there's a really interesting part that i also want to talk about in the exhibit it's the trianon part it's um it was sort of this Versailles take on the fashion. And so they preluded to some of the influences that um, Christian Dior had. And one of them was Versailles. Obviously, a lot of people have had influences from Versailles. But um, uh, 
there's a picture of a model who's in the Petit Trianon, and actually Brooklyn and I have the same picture, and so I got really excited. And then I come upon this part in the exhibit, and this is sort of when the exhibit lightens up and the walls are white, and there's a lot more lighting, <laughs> and I can read things. And um, some of the dresses I'm talking about are like the Palmyre, the Nuit Frosh, the Soir Fleury, the Palomita, uh, the Romance, uh, Marivaux, and these are all dresses that were influenced by um, 18th century French interior. And um, they sort of reminded me of the um, Hollywood version version of Dangerous License. But, like, what was your take on this section? It was, like, a lot of embroidery and sort of, like, tight corset-looking dresses. Um but it had, but it was cool because they were all of the dresses were positioned in sort of this um, rococo interior, and so the walls had like molding and then were gilded, and they had a couple of the chairs that had come from some private collections or some museums. Um, they weren't like extraordinary chairs. There weren't any Reisner cabinets in there or croissant crescents. But, um, and there was no gilded furniture, but there were, um, replicated, um, walls, but it was really interesting to look at this, um, section because it took up, I mean, I think there were about, um, 15 outfits and then there were men's jackets as well that had like sort of the long back and then the embroidered wrist areas. And, um, but that was a really cool section. So, um, and then once you leave that, sort of Versailles section, you then go into the garden section where it was the florals coming down from the ceiling. It's like these white flowery florals. And you have a lot of embroidered pieces. And that's when you sort of get into, um, I think it was Maria Grazia Chiori. And she was um, the first woman um, creative director and she was Italian so um, she sort of brought back the garden embroidered florals that had sort of been lost um, post Christian Dior obviously like we kind of get rid of the florals for a while but then they come back and she did a really good job so what was your take so first of all Maria um, she is Grazia she Curie I'm not sure how to pronounce her name but she's actually the first female creative director of Dior ever before that was Raph Simmons Raph Simmons I have to be honest is one of the most amazing creative directors you ever encounter he's innovative he his last show for his final show for Dior You've never seen so many celebrities, front row, innovators, people who want to see his collection because he's so amazing. And he actually moved to Cal Klein, but Maria Grazzi, she took over. And she really made Dior something simplistic, but at the same time influential. And she has a story behind it. She really integrated Dior, which is the house of Dior, and the technique, the style, everything about Dior, which is comes down to how they sew their garments. There's so much that goes into every single garment. It's insane. There's almost four people at least if it be Hokutor, which means you have a house that is directly related to creating Hokutor Fashion Week. And you have someone like Maria Grazzi who 
um, devotes her life and her collections to Dior. So she is the first female, obviously, creative director. And her last show, if you haven't seen it, was in a mysterious, fantastical garden where all her models were walking through. And it was, a, it was like Alice in Wonderland. It was amazing. The reviews were amazing. Business of Fashion reviewed it. And I think she's really giving a feminine touch to the house of Dior. And at the same time, giving that kind of traditional, mystical um, twist to the house of Dior. I think a lot of the people um, critique Dior for being too traditional, too classical in terms of their shape. And she is really giving, I think, a new, innovative perspective, yet at the same time, really um, containing herself to the forms, to the shapes, to the the mystery of Dior at the same time, um, indulging in innovation. And I think she's something new and with Dior as well, they actually have this whole separate program that is devoted for uh, people in the fashion industry and people devoted to working in the fashion industry. Dior actually has a whole separate school for that. So I think Mia Grazzi is really devoted to Dior in the sense of a brand and in the sense of creating a brand that is totally innovative in the sense that it is something new from the new look, but at the same time, it is totally Dior. So you're positioning positioning yourself essentially in the future, yet you have a hand in the past. And I think that's what she represents as a whole. She's always looking forward, but she will never, never disregard the past. I think that's very important in a designer, that they always remember the past because the past is what defines any artist, any designer, yeah, the future is what moves them forward. So she is a clear representative of an entity that relays both people and brings them together and creates something that's whole and something that's amazing and people relate to and can see in the future and see success. Yeah, she's amazing. When you see her stuff, you can definitely um, appreciate that there is a new person directing their lines exciting to see it's very wearable stuff too she's a big contender of comfort um but with that what you were saying is that um there's a part in the exhibit too that just breaks down the dresses without all of the extra stuff on the outside and so it's just sort of the like linen dress frame and it's so cool to see that because it's like where the dresses start and they're so simplistic and it's really cool in this exhibit. They well, while well, I was there because Brooklyn went before I did, so um, I don't know if this person was there. But they had someone who was like sewing while while we were going through. Was she there for you? That was so cool. In the room of like white garments. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I like could not stop watching. So those were classic Dior pieces in the sense of shape and form. Those were the most classic shapes you could see defined by Christian Dior and what his new look was to him. If, I'm sure all of you know, but if not, the new look was something that Christian Dior defined and created. And it was something that accentuated the female waist and therefore also um, accentuated, um, I mean... Accentuated? Accentuated the female body. So you had the tight waist, but the wide hips. And that's what his format was for creating a garment. So you can see this in the exhibit, his room full of white garments that really focuses on the female body and accentuating the waist, 
yet accentuating that's oh yeah that is really true and then well this is a good point too because like while you're walking to this section it's like a different section than what we've been talking about before is there's the um outfit that's on the brochure of the exhibit is like the new the first like white blazer black skirt and then like straw hat kind of look so the new look yeah that's, that's what it's defined as is the new look yeah and that's like what you have to see first before you go into these other garments but the last sort of room that you walk into i really want to talk about this too because i think it's so cool is like the real really luxurious dresses like the sort of like petal looking dress that we all think of the Charlize Theron dresses we all think of and then they had the Natalie Portman dresses we all think Jennifer of Jennifer Lawrence yes oh my gosh I, I think freaked out for them in terms of marketing strategy was brilliant because it, it makes it relatable in the sense that you walk into this room that celebrities like Jennifer Lawrence Charlize Theron Natalie Portman even extended versions of that the history of who is worn and represented Dior as a brand I think is huge and you walk into this room and you have this feeling that there has been someone of fame. There's someone of importance that stood in this room and represented you as a whole. You get the lighting. The lighting is amazing. The architecture is amazing. Everything about the room is far more architectural and substantial than the rest of the gallery. I think that is the purpose. It, this is the highlight of the exhibit. This is the highlight of the room. And this is the ending of the Christian Dior, the Christian Dior brand. It's never the ending, but again, this wraps up the whole of the brand. And I feel like you walk into this room and you see the history, but you also see the present. And you see who is representing the brand now, who is wearing it, who looks amazing in it. There's even a video of the celebrities on the red carpet wearing Christian Dior garments. And I think you just really get to indulge in the moment and the moment that you would feel as if you were in a Christian Dior garment and walking down the runway. And that's the feeling you get, and that's the feeling they want to inject into you. And I really felt that that, that was the strategy in which they want to implement, is that they want you to engage with the brand and feel as if you are part of the brand, as if it's the same as any brand. But I honestly felt it like no other because you're not in a in a museum situation where you get to see these garments and physically relate to them and engage with them. A lot of the time, you'll go on the mannequin or all these things that feel a little bit disconnected. Fair. Totally fair. But in this situation, you get to see a video, a mannequin, the lights. They engage totally with the customer or the viewer. Not just a customer, but just a viewer who wants to engage and experience the Dior experience, a Christian Dior experience. So I think it was the ending part of the exhibit was absolutely amazing and influential and left me with nothing a fashion museum has ever left me with. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I would suggest this to anyone who is traveling to Paris I think it's going on for a while. I'm not sure the dates, but I'll post a link to it on um, the website, um, podcast website. But um, what is next for you, Brooklyn? What are you doing after Paris? So for me, I'm going back to Vancouver, where I'm from. But I'm continuing to work on the creative type, which I've kind of explained a bit more before. Um, 
Hopefully one day I'll have a link. I can send to Sophia and she can link on her podcast. But until then, um, I'm working on myself and I'm going home and working on my business and trying to, again, connect creatives and artists and connect them online on an online platform and move forward from there. Again, I'm a curator. That's what I specialize in. And I want to create this online network that expands beyond the Canadian realm and far beyond this domestic realm into the global realm. So that's kind of what my goal is. And as a studier of art history, I would love to engage with Sophia further and, again, just take my knowledge and implement it into the real world and grow with anyone who wants to learn more. So exciting. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, so if you want to follow her again, it's Brooklyn... With a Y, like Brooklyn, New York, with two N's and then Gallagher. She has, I'm not even kidding, the best Instagram. (laughs) I'm so creepy. But she's also taught me how to take Instagram photos. So if anyone needs any tips, you just need to follow Brooklyn. We can give that to you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys. Bye.